Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. Today's Easter service is titled, Why All the Hype on Easter? For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. I once heard a story about a man named Dave who went on a vacation to the Middle East. He took his family with him, including his mother-in-law. During their visit to Jerusalem, Dave's mother-in-law passed away. And with the death certificate in his hand, he went to the American consulate and uh, was trying to make arrangements to have her body sent back to the United States for a proper burial. Uh, The consul told Dave, though, that doing so would be very, very expensive. And it would cost several thousand dollars to send her body back to the United States. So Dave considered his options, and the council said, you know, it would only cost a few hundred dollars to have her buried here in Jerusalem. And so as he considered his options, he told the council, I don't care how much it costs, I have to get her sent back to the United States. And so the council replied, well, man, you must have really loved your mother-in-law, considering how much you're willing to spend and the difference in price, burial in Jerusalem versus back in the States. To which Dave responded, no, it's it's not that, actually. You see, I, I know of a case many, many years ago about a man who was buried here in Jerusalem, and then three days later, he rose from the dead. And I just can't take that chance with my (laughs) mother-in-law. You know, Dave may not have been the sharpest knife in the drawer, but he did get two things right. He feared his mother-in-law, and uh, he knew the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago, still has implications today. And so I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Luke chapter 18. And if you uh, forgot your Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers can loan you one of our Bibles. We've got plenty to share. I want to make sure you have a copy of the Word in front of you. Luke chapter 18. I also want to encourage you to take out the sermon note handout that was in the worship folder you received when you came in. I've got a short outline there for you to take some notes. Uh, The big idea for today that I hope you'll take home with you and remember the rest of this week is is simply this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is worthy of our hype. It's worthy of our hype. I occasionally like to use a question to title my sermons, especially if I think the question is one that we've all considered in the quietness of our hearts and perhaps one that we've been afraid to ask. What's the big deal? Why all the hype on Easter? Why does everybody get dressed up? Why, why, do we, why is the service different? Well, hype, as many of you know, is a modern colloquialism. It's a hard word to say, but it means to promote something, to publicize it, or to be excited about something. To promote an event. However, it didn't always mean that. Um, interestingly, in full transparency, after titling this message and sending it off to the printers at the end of this past week, 
I then learned that the word hype originated in American English in the late 1920s. And the original meaning of the word was, it was actually an abbreviation for hyperbole. And it was meant to convey, as a slang word, being tricked or swindled. So when I saw that, I went, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good. I didn't mean to convey that about the resurrection, so how can, I, how can I redeem this? Well, let me just say plainly that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a trick, and it is impossible to exaggerate its significance. It's impossible. It is a legitimate, miraculous, and historical event that took place and changed the world. Now, although I have to admit also, in full transparency, that It is difficult for me as a pastor to try and help the 21st century church understand something that took place over 2,000 years ago before smartphones, before YouTube, before cameras and recording devices where you can experience it and see what happened. It's a challenge. Uh, it's, It's like trying to describe a sporting event or a great military victory that wasn't recorded on video or audio. However, I'm up for the challenge, and I'm going to do my best to take you back there. And so with that, if you would, look at Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to read verses 31 to 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, Jesus, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Here's the first of three truths that the Gospels tell us this morning about the resurrection. The first is that the resurrection was a promise made. It was a promise made. Uh, This here in Luke chapter 18 is one of many times that Jesus told his disciples what was going to happen to him once he got to Jerusalem. In fact, There are three such instances recorded in Matthew, in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, and Matthew 20. Jesus talked about his uh, crucifixion and and death and burial and resurrection. Uh, Three times in Mark, Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10. And then here in Luke, uh, we've got Luke 9, and then here in Luke 18. And then in the Gospel of John, John chapter 2. He mentions it. Now, some of these instances overlap, and some of them don't, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all hint that there were other times Jesus talked about his resurrection that were not recorded in the Gospels. Interestingly as well, the Old Testament books of the Psalms and Isaiah in particular predicted centuries earlier that there would be a Messiah who would save God's people by being betrayed, crucified, and resurrected. Some of the disciples would have learned this in their Jewish upbringing. They would have known about an anointed one or a promised one that would have uh, come and done these things, who would be powerful and change everything. 
But Jesus was making a promise here in Luke 18 to do something that no one had ever done before and no one has ever done since. He essentially said, I'm going to allow myself to get killed and then I'm going to come back three days later. This reminded me of a a story that I've heard in uh, several different times in different formats. I've read it online. I've seen it in some... Um, uh, videos on YouTube and uh, Sports Center, ESPN, but uh, it has to do with Hall of Fame uh, basketball player Larry Bird. Uh, Larry Bird was known by opposing players of his era, not only for his amazing skill set, but also for his ability to back up his audacious trash talking. In fact, uh, Some NBA players have said in interviews they think Larry Bird invented trash-talking in the game of basketball. Um, For example, uh, Bird would frequently tell uh, the opposing team during pregame warm-ups how many points he was going to score that night. And sometimes, this didn't happen often, but sometimes he would even have his coach take him out of the game before he scored more than the points, he said. So he might say, for example, I'm going to score 40 on you guys tonight. And then once he scored 40 and the the Celtics were up by a lot of points, he'd tell his coach, take me out or I'm going to just keep scoring. I told these guys I was only going to score 40 on them, you know. And so um, he would do that and and, then go out and predict it and he would leave opposing players just shaking their heads. Um, Another example is after winning the inaugural three-point contest on All-Star Weekend in 1986, uh, Bird came back the next year and he told the other shooters in the competition I hope you guys are all planning on finishing in second place because I'm going to win this thing. And then he went and he made every three-point shot and left again the competition going, how does he do that? Uh, perhaps the most famous story about Bird's ability to back up his, uh, what he said he was going to do, and it's my favorite, is, uh, took place during a 1986 game between the Boston Celtics and the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, during a timeout, Bird walked over to the Dallas bench and said, okay, listen, here's what's going to happen. We're going to inbound the ball to our point guard, Danny Ainge. Danny's going to pass it over to our shooting guard, Dennis Johnson. Then Dennis is going to fire it to me right here in the corner, and I'm going to make a step-back three-pointer. Okay, did you get that, guys? You get that? Just watch. Ball's inbounded, Danny Ainge, Dennis Johnson, throws it to Bird. Step back three, done. <laughs> I told you I was going to do it, you know. But what's amazing to me when I hear that story, and then even there are interviews online of Dallas players recounting that experience, is that um, as impressive as Larry Bird's accomplishments were, he isn't able to predict when, where, and how he will die. Jesus predicted when he would die, who would kill him, and when he would come back. Who does that? Well, God does. The Lord does. Now notice in your Bible, verse 34, it says, this saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Some might interpret the ESV rendering of this as maybe Jesus playing some Jedi mind tricks on the disciples to keep them from understanding things, but that's, that's actually not what the verse means. The reason they didn't 
get it, the reason it was hidden from them, what he was saying, is because they were not able to understand it. What Jesus was saying was so far outside of their frame of thinking. They had never heard resurrection before. They'd never heard anybody say, I'm going to die willingly, and then I'm going to come back three days later. Nobody had ever said that before. So, this is one example of Jesus promising his resurrection. Next, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 24 with me, and we'll look at the resurrection itself. Just, so, just flip back a couple pages to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. Luke 24, 1 through 9. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day. Rise. And then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Here's a second point on your outline. The resurrection was a promise kept. It was a promise kept. Uh, Verse 10 tells us, and I I didn't have us read that far for the sake of time, but it tells us that there was a group of women who first discovered Jesus, uh, that his tomb was empty. Uh, And the other gospel texts corroborate that it's Mary Magdalene, it's Mary the mother of James, Salome, Johanna, and, um, and possibly a few other women that were first at the tomb that followed him and were a part of his ministry. So where did Jesus go? What happened to him? Well, over the centuries, skeptics have asked at least the following three questions to try and debunk the resurrection. The first question that is often asked by skeptics is, well, perhaps it's possible he escaped because he never died. Well, no, that's not possible because... Crucifixion on a cross was a method of capital punishment used and perfected by the Roman Empire, intended to instill fear in the citizens of the empire so that when you see somebody crucified, you would never want to go through that again and thus behave. Uh, Those who were sentenced to death on a Roman cross were first flogged to near death. In fact, flogging was so brutal that many prisoners died before they even got to the cross. Jesus then hung on his cross for about six hours next to two other criminals. It was custom for Roman soldiers to break the legs of prisoners so that they would die sooner because while hanging on a cross, they would have to use their legs to push up to breathe. So if their legs were broken, they couldn't do so. John chapter 19 tells us the soldiers did not break Jesus' legs because he was already dead. 
That means that the crowds that were there and the soldiers all saw that he had died. Well, the next question that skeptics like to raise is, well, could his body have been stolen? Nah, once again, not possible. And that's because a two-ton stone was rolled in front of the tomb on a downward uh, slope. So it rolled down, and in order to roll it back, it would have taken several men, if not horses, to push it back uphill and then uh, wedge something underneath it in place to keep it from rolling back down its short little hill in front of the tomb. In addition to that, the stone was marked with a Roman seal. It was the stamp of Roman power and authority. This meant that anyone who tampered with the tomb could be put to death by crucifixion as well. And then on top of that, there was a detachment of Roman soldiers armed put in front of the tomb to guard it so that nobody would try to be a grave robber. And the guards were sworn to fulfill their duties till the death. And if they failed to do so, they knew they would be put to death. So it was in the best interest of the guards to not let anybody steal anybody from the tomb. And nobody got in. And nobody got out physically. Next, another question that skeptics raise is, well, maybe the disciples, were they hallucinating, maybe? Not likely. Because the 11 surviving disciples all testified to seeing the same person in the weeks following the resurrection. Jesus ate with the disciples. By the way, ghosts don't eat because they don't have a physical body. So there's a reason why it's recorded that Jesus ate. Um, another thing that Jesus did was he, he taught them, he walked with them, and touched them. And he let the disciples touch him. Again, if he was just a spirit or a ghost or some hallucination, there would not be a physical body to touch. So the Roman religious authorities looked high and low for Jesus' body, but they never, ever found it. Never. That means that the resurrection was real, and it was a promise kept. And because it was a promise kept, the only appropriate response is the one given by the angels. He has risen. Dr. W.E. Sangster was a passionate Methodist preacher who ministered in Great Britain in the early 20th century. Uh, during the last couple of years of his life, he was bedridden uh, with a type of muscular dystrophy and unable to use his voice anymore to preach. And so on the last Easter Sunday that he lived, he wrote a letter to his daughter that said the following, it is terrible to wake up on Easter Sunday and to have no voice with which to shout, He has risen! But it would be more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. So here's your chance. If you're a believer in the resurrection, 
and you have a voice, then let's declare that he has risen together on the count of three. Three, two, one. He is risen. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect harmony as well. Now, we see the resurrection. It's a promise made, a promise kept. Next, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 2. So we're going we're gonna to move forward now just a few more weeks, and we're going to look at the first sermon that's preached after Jesus ascends into heaven. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 22 to 24. Peter is, is preaching uh, at Pentecost, and Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Here's the final point in your outline. Number three, the resurrection is a promise proven. It's a promise proven. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preaching this famous sermon at Pentecost, and it's a, it's a lengthy but meaty, beefy sermon. He says God raised him up. It, in other words, what he's trying to say is that if the virgin birth and, and all the miracles that Jesus performed during his lifetime, if they weren't enough to prove that Jesus was God, well, then certainly the resurrection proves it. I mean, how much more evidence do you need? In fact, the resurrection becomes so popular in the preaching throughout the book of Acts that it's mentioned 11 more times in Acts. The specific phrase, God raised, is repeated multiple times. Now, it's important to note that Peter was preaching in a city where several witnesses had seen the resurrected Jesus walking around. Thus, his audience could verify what Peter was claiming. Yeah, 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 I saw him too. Didn't you see him? Yeah, he was walking right down here. I know. You sure it was the same Jesus? Yeah, it was the same Jesus. He had the same clothes on still, yeah. The resurrection became the final blow to skeptics who had been trying to debunk the gospel and trying to prove that Jesus was not God. And to this day, the empty tomb remains the argument that skeptics have no answer for. The New Testament tells us the resurrected Christ has been seen by as many as 500 witnesses on the same day. And he made several other appearances over the course of 40 days before he ascended into heaven. I, 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 two thoughts came to my mind this week while I was uh, preparing for this message and I was studying this evidence for the resurrection. The first thought that came to my mind is, for those of you that are still doubting who Jesus was and his claims, how many witnesses would be enough for you? Would it take 750? Would it take a thousand witnesses? The next thing that came to my mind as I was studying this is 
There are documents, including the scriptures, that prove Jesus was resurrected. More than 500 witnesses saw him. And yet, today, in our court system, a man can be sentenced to death with a mere percentage of the witnesses that saw Jesus alive. So, so, so in other words, our court system considers just a handful of eyewitness testimony credible to sentence somebody to death, yet there are still people who refuse to believe that Jesus was God, that Jesus was resurrected, when there's more than 500. I just wanted to share that with you because I was thinking about it and it was convicting me and as I've said before to our church, if it convicts me, I'm gonna share it so it convicts you. I don't like to be convicted by myself. So, so you see verses 22 to 24 reinforce the fact that the deity of Christ wasn't just proven by his birth, his life, and his death. It was proven once and for all by his resurrection. And so, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on Easter weekend, it isn't the end of the story. In fact, for many of us, it's the beginning. Jesus not only promised to raise himself, but he also promised to raise those who have a personal relationship with him. You see, that's the good news on top of the good news for those that are born again Christ followers. Jesus said in John 6, verse 40, that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life and be raised on the last day. And then in John 11, uh, verse 25, in the Lazarus account, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And so it means you don't have to be a mother-in-law and you don't have to die in Jerusalem to be resurrected. You just need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ through repentance and faith provides forgiveness, peace with God, access to him through prayer, and much more. If you have questions about how to begin a relationship like that, I'd love to talk to you after this service. But for now, is there anyone here that would agree with me that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is worthy of our hype? <laughs> Amen. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just want to pray right now for those who are still doubting, questioning whether Jesus was for real. Lord, please, would you open their eyes? Help them to see like you eventually helped the disciples to see. Lord, please, would you, would you help them to see how holy and yet loving and gracious you are and how sinful and fallen they are. And yet despite all this, you desire a personal relationship with them. And Lord, I also want to pray for those who do know you but perhaps are very discouraged in their faith. Father, please would you use the teaching on the resurrection to give them hope, to remind them that their time here on earth is short, 
that what they're experiencing right now will not last forever. That there is something definitive that they can look forward to. That's being with you. Please, Lord, make that truth especially real today. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for taking care of our biggest problem. The one problem we all share in common, the problem of death. We thank you, Lord, that we can, with even more confidence than Larry Bird had, we can be certain that through Christ, in a relationship with him, we will conquer death. We too will not be held by the grave. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.